returning to class. The school district has said they were able to set up extra precautions, and I think it should have been helpful. Lessons from Omicron and how parents, students, and staff feel about safety in schools. A shocking assault on an Uber driver. They were drunk and they were abusing me. And that's not the only attack police are investigating. And more extreme rainfall on the way. It certainly is uh, a potentially strong storm arriving. The special weather statement that'll help you prepare for the next atmospheric river. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. After a Christmas holiday that was extended by a week, BC school kids returned to their classrooms today for in-person learning. But as Richard Zussman reports, as cases of the Omicron variant continue to soar, the return to school is causing a lot of extra concern for many teachers, while some parents are even choosing to keep their kids home. Back to school decision. Just the consistency was more important for me than... Um, just the unknown of what a home learning environment would be. Just statistically no chance that there's no one at that school who's, who's not sick right now. The familiar sounds of children on the schoolyard across the province from kindergarten to grade 12. She has to go to school. She has to learn. Yeah, they still have to get back to normal somehow. And while many parents opted to send their kids back, some didn't. With Omicron circulating and how much more contagious it is, I think um, we were maybe feeling a little bit safer with them at school before the break. In September 2020, there were just 32 people in hospital with COVID across BC, an average of 101 cases per day and no vaccine. A year ago, hospitalizations at 358, cases at 572 a day and still no vaccine. The start of this school year, hospitalizations were 261, 673 cases per day, and now the vaccine. But now, hospitalizations climbing. Over 400 people now in hospital with COVID, more than 3,400 cases a day, even with vaccine. For parents, I can absolutely appreciate uh, the challenges that they're that they're experiencing around how to weigh up all of these different all of these different risks. Schools expected to stagger starts and stops, but that's not happening everywhere. Attendance will be tracked closely. A drop of 10% will trigger additional COVID measures. Surrey, the first district to report back, early numbers show attendance down 4% Monday compared to normal. The BC Teachers Federation asking for even more measures. We do think that N95 masks should be available. We think teachers should be able to access booster shots. We think HEPA filters should be put in classrooms. The families with the greatest concern around sending their kids back to schools like this one also happen to be the families with the greatest risk when it comes to severe consequences due to the virus. Especially now that we've tried so hard over the last two years to keep everybody safe, it's particularly difficult to send them back now when it seems like this is the time when we most need to be doing everything that we can to keep ourselves safe. A parent's hope their kids come home with their lunch kit and outdoor shoes and not COVID-19. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC now. Three days worth, and we're focusing now on hospitalizations because that is really telling the pandemic story right now. We have 431 people in hospital, as Richard mentioned. That's up 82 and 95 of those patients are in the ICU. We've had seven more deaths from complications of the virus. 
And right now there are 34,551 active cases in B.C. And over the last three days, we've seen nearly 7,000 new cases. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now for more on those hospitalizations Mm -hmm. and why that number in particular is key here, Keith. Yeah, a couple of different ways to look at hospitalizations. There's the net increase, which Richard referred to, of 82 uh, since uh, Friday. But there's also a bigger number of play. I'll get to the big number in a moment. Here's a geographical breakdown of the current cases of COVID-19, a real explosion just over the weekend. Uh, Fraser Health now with 44% of the cases, 193. Vancouver Coastal with about one-fifth of the cases. And you see the change there on, on the right-hand column, the enormous change in Fraser of up 54 in three days. The interior and the north actually saw a decline for the first time in some time. But there's also the overall hospitalization number. These are just net numbers we're talking about right now. The overall ones are rather startling. So again, over three days, there have been 242 hospital admissions. Many of those emergency room visits, 160 people discharged or reclassified, which leaves that net 82 number. That 242 is more than 80 a day. By my records, I think that's a record. I don't think we've been averaging 80 uh, hospitalizations a day since the pandemic began. So uh, this was predicted. Uh, Public health officials did forecast that we were going to see a big increase in hospitalizations. Some of the public health modelers out there are predicting even or projecting even higher hospitalizations in the weeks ahead. So this number is starting to climb significantly. Where there's hope, though, Chris, is the ICU numbers are not changing much. That remains very stable. Unlike what we're seeing in Ontario and Quebec and many U.S. states, we're seeing higher hospitalizations, but not more serious cases. And hopefully that trend continues. All right, and we know that uh, our top health experts will be answering some of those concerns coming up. Make sure you're watching BC1 tonight or Facebook Live or listening to 980 CKNW. We're holding a special COVID-19 town hall once again with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. The pair will answer questions that are submitted by global viewers from 7 to 8 p.m. And you can also watch the town hall, as I mentioned, on Facebook Live. Well, BC Ferries is warning travelers about potential service disruptions over the coming months. Kylie Stanton now on the combination of factors that could cause cancellations, what ferry customers can expect. 36 vessels sailing 25 different routes, employing roughly 5,000 people. Keeping BC Ferries moving can be challenging at the best of times. But between winter weather, the Omicron variant, regular cold and flu season, a vaccine mandate and a global shortage of professional mariners, it's a perfect storm. While we are trying to mitigate this as best we can with paying overtime and cross-training staffing pools, we are finding situations uh, throughout the fleet where we are having to temporarily reduce our service. In the coming months, the inter-island minor routes are expected to be impacted the most, sparking concern in the many communities that consider the service a lifeline. If this was a highway, it would be fixed. And, you know, another disruption to our essential service uh, is really intolerable. BC Ferries says it will communicate any service disruptions as quickly as possible to all customers. That said, it is mandated to operate according to federal standards, meaning even if a small number of crew aren't available to sail and replacements can't be found in time, there is no choice but to cancel. There should be a way that the federal uh, ministry can set a a policy by which you can uh, prorate the number of staff to the number of passengers. In other words, uh, still maintain the adequate ratio, but with a smaller load. But the union says the staffing problem is nothing new. The pandemic is only exacerbating it. 
resulting in burnout and in some cases early retirement. Something for passengers to think about when they get on board. We'll get through this together, but we do request uh, patience while we work through these uh, staffing challenges and looking at both short-term and long-term fixes. The good news, no route is expected to be suspended completely. But smooth sailing for the very complex system, not likely for several months. Kylie Stanton, Global News. There is a call tonight to rethink how we prepare for extreme weather systems similar to what we're expecting in parts of B.C. again this week. As we hear from Ted Chernecki, that means looking at doing away with some of the beloved infrastructure, like the seawall. Tens of thousands of people walk, jog and cycle BC's seawalls. But last week's powerful windstorms coupled with a king tide left a path of destruction and urban planners wondering if seawalls are doomed for good. The way that we really should be thinking about moving forward is not building back better, building back bigger, all of these things that we're hearing, but really asking ourselves, do we want to build back at all? The problem with seawalls is they don't give, and trying to stop a storm surge with thousands of kilometers of water behind it is asking a bit much. Even if we start trying to creep up to catch up to sea level rise, we're still going to have that really hard wave and all of that extra energy we're getting from these bigger and more damaging storms hitting that hard edge. So with another atmospheric river event now in the forecast starting tomorrow evening, the question is, will there be flooding again in the Fraser Valley? In a statement, the city of Abbotsford says all the damaged dikes have been repaired, but urban planners see this as band-aid solutions at best, because like seawalls, dikes are hard infrastructure that may be no match for tomorrow's rising waters and intensifying storms. So that when something goes awry with your diking system, and it will because we have 600 kilometers of dikes that are poorly maintained, it's going to fail, and it's going to fail catastrophically. At this point, the BC River Forecast Centre says it's too hard to tell if this week's weather event will cause widespread flooding. If we start to see some of those higher-end uh, rainfall forecasts, if, if those were to come to fruition, we would expect to see much more significant flooding. But even with a more conventional rainstorm, there'll be pretty high stream flows because there's much more snow in the Alpine to melt than there was in November. Ted Chernucky, Global News. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now uh, with more. Christy, take us through the timeline of these storms. Okay, well, it's really important to note, though, as you heard in Ted's pack there, there is still some uncertainty around this. We do know that there's an atmospheric river targeting the south coast. Within this, there's three waves. So this is really a three-day event. We'll feel the impacts of it right through until Thursday with the heaviest rainfall likely on Wednesday. So the concern is, is that we are going to be refining this forecast over the next few days. Make sure you keep tuning back in, and we'll have more updates as we get move along. At this point, though, from tomorrow right through Thursday, Thursday, we're talking about a rainfall warning where some areas could see up to 115 millimeters of rain. Localized flooding, uh, rise in the rivers and streams, certainly possible. And just uh, sort of localized or min- minor flooding expected at this point. But as I mentioned, we'll be refining this forecast. So make sure you keep tuning back in. I'll have more details on the timeline when I come back. All right. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks, Christy. A stunning assault caught on camera. The Uber driver who was attacked... And a taxi driver assaulted too. That's coming up next on the News Hour. It's kind of this weird feeling of mixture of kind of gratitude and, and soreness. A snowboarder recovering from injuries and what he says about being rescued from an avalanche coming up on the News Hour.
And the shocking death of actor and comedian Bob Saget and how he went for the laughs at all costs. Coming up. Right now, though, some shocking video of an assault on an Uber driver is highlighting the dangers sometimes facing rideshare and taxi drivers. Grace Key has that story and the details of another incident involving a cab driver. This Uber ride ends with the passenger out of nowhere hitting the driver in the face before running off. It happened 6.30 Sunday morning. Gurjit Singh Ranu picked a couple up in Surrey and dropped them off in Burnaby. I was so surprised that this happened to me. Like I never heard or like uh, seen anyone uh, getting a physical assault in the Uber. Uh, I used to drive with taxi as well. Like never happened with me earlier. So it was uh, so shocking for me. Yo, can we just go? One zero, no, that's the wrong one. No, that's wrong. It's on your Uber app, man. The passengers didn't provide a PIN number or a proper address at first. That's when there was a heated exchange. If you're going to talk like that, man, I'm going to get you out. No, 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 no. I'm going to get you out from a car. What do you mean? It should be on your Uber app. You've got to behave. You've got to behave. I've got to behave? Yeah. What do you mean I've got to behave? You're not behaving, man. And he went upset with me. He started abusing, abusing me, and I said, uh, I pulled over the car immediately. And I said, like, if you're going to behave like that, I, I'll be unable to take your ride, right? The rest of the 15-minute ride was in silence with the woman lying down for a nap. And just before the man leaves, he hits the driver. This wasn't the only incident over the weekend involving a fare. On Friday night, a passenger allegedly assaulted a 55-year-old cab driver, forcing him to drive from Richmond to downtown Vancouver. The passenger appeared paranoid and thought people were following him. Uh, while en route, we believe that the cab driver was assaulted uh, with a weapon, threatened and forced uh, to drive into the downtown core. While en route, uh, the cabbie was ordered to do things like run red lights and veer into oncoming traffic. A 43-year-old man has been charged with assault with a weapon, uttering threats, and possession of a weapon. In the Burnaby incident, RCMP are investigating. No arrests have been made yet. Grace Key, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is now handling a case involving the discovery of a man's body inside a Surrey home. Surrey RCMP were called to the home on 84th Avenue near 135th Street at 6 last night and say initial evidence suggests a shooting had occurred at the home Sunday morning but went unreported until the victim was located. The area around the home is expected to remain behind police tape for a significant amount of time as investigators comb the scene. Just ahead, COVID taking its toll on the workforce. Our concessionaire had a number of uh, sick calls. How the Kelowna Airport offers a taste of things to come if Omicron continues to spread. Also ahead, where does the money go? The lack of accounting for new fees designed to phase out single-use coffee cups and other items. Winter maintenance continues over at the Portman Bridge with the HOV lane blocked and minor delays in both directions. With BCAA car insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Another workplace struggling with labor shortages due to the spread of the Omicron variant is the Kelowna Airport. Travis Lowe has more on the struggle there and at other B.C. restaurants to find enough staff and why there might be a little bit of good news. Hungry folks flying out of Wild W on Sunday night. 
may have been scrambling for vending machine delectables, or at least begging for another bag of peanuts from their flight attendant. Yesterday, uh, our concessionaire had a number of uh, sick calls come in. And as a result of that, we weren't able to operate the concessions after six o'clock in the departures lounge. All because the Kelowna airport is facing the same staffing challenges that Dr. Bonnie Henry warned all BC businesses to prepare for last week. As many as a third of your workforce at any one time may become ill with COVID-19 and they may not be able to come to work. We had 190,000 people in the industry we think that we were 40,000 people short before Omicron. But for an industry already facing a substantial labor shortage, restaurants in BC are hoping this isn't a taste of things to come. In our industry, so many people have passed through it and got it. I think they're going to build up a bit of a natural defense. However, Tostenson admits that if another COVID staffing shortage is going to happen, there couldn't be a better time. A lot of restaurants are, are running on minimal staff. And that's allowing the other staff, if they do get sick, to have some time off. So we're kind of lucky it's January. Back at the airport, concessions are open again, but... We feel this is going to go on for quite some time now, the difficulty getting staff to work. So if you're looking for snacks, you might want to bring your own. Because with Omicron threatening to sideline more than 30% of the workforce, when you travel, there's no guarantees on the menu. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. It has been just over a week since Vancouver became the first Canadian municipality to implement a fee for single-use cups. Those cups, along with paper and reusable shopping bags, will all cost you extra. And there are some serious questions about whether the zero-waste strategy is just a cash grab. Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua joins us now with more. Ann. Thanks, Chris. The single-use cup and shopping bag bylaws were set to start in 2021, but they were delayed one year to give businesses a reprieve during the pandemic. The city does not collect the revenue from the bag and cup fees paid by consumers, and there is no accountability as to where the single-use fee money is actually going. Now, businesses must charge a minimum of 15 cents per paper shopping bag, $1 per reusable shopping bag, and 25 cents for each single-use latte or coffee cup. The money generated from these fees is kept by businesses. Now, on the online wholesale site, Alibaba.com, many suppliers are offering disposable paper coffee cups with prices ranging from one to seven cents per cup, depending on the volume you purchase. For example, a business could buy 5,000 cups at five cents each and turn a profit of 20 cents per cup after the single-use cup fee. Businesses are encouraged to use the revenue to invest in reusable alternatives, but the single-use cup bylaw does not require them to spend the extra cash on zero-waste incentives like reusable cup share programs or commercial dishwashers. When we adopted the bylaw, we didn't see the need to do that. It's not something that's been done for similar programs like bylaws where there are fees on the bags, paper bags and reusable bags like we see in Victoria. Will the expectation that they use the cup fee make them do it and reinvest into reusable uh, programs? We can't say for sure whether or how businesses will use those fees. That decision is up to businesses. They are hoping and urging businesses to save up these fees to purchase a dishwasher because they're planning on nuking those businesses with a full-on ban on coffee cups in the future. Vancouver is going to be the land of only Starbucks and McDonald's. 
that's it. Because those are the only companies that have the floor space, that can eat this fee, that can have the industrial-sized dishwashers. Still, the city says early feedback has been positive, with some stores already participating in the reusable cup share program, which provides a takeaway model without the waste. The collection of single-use items from garbage bins, streets and parks currently cost Vancouver taxpayers about $2.5 million a year. In 2023, the fees businesses are required to charge will increase to $0.25 per paper bag and $2 for a reusable bag. Now, city staff will take an education-based approach to enforcement but businesses which don't comply with single-use bylaws could potentially be ticketed up to $500 per offense or lose their business license in extreme cases. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thank you very much. Coming up, new developments in the Amanda Todd case. It's always been important that Amanda wasn't anonymized. The ruling that strikes down a publication ban on her name during the trial of a man accused of terrible crimes against her. And later tonight, why these puppies need your help. Traffic is eased off quite nicely in the Burnaby Lake stretch along Highway 1 in both directions with just a little bit of uh, delays for eastbound traffic at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. A big development ahead of the start of the Canadian trial for the Dutchman accused of the online harassment and blackmail of B.C. teenager Amanda Todd. A B.C. Supreme Court judge has stricken down a ban that prevented Amanda's name from being published during trial. Now, Romina Dea shows us why her mom backed the effort to say her name. Two words, Amanda Todd. It is the power of her name, her legacy. Monday's court victory evoking a gut reaction of disbelief for the teen's mother, Carol Todd. I just can't explain it emotionally. It was, it was just, it took my breath away. Amanda killed herself October 10th, 2012. The teen shared her story of blackmail, torment, and depression in a haunting YouTube video viewed by millions worldwide. Aidan Coban, a Dutch citizen, was extradited to Canada from the Netherlands in December 2020 and charged with several offenses, including extortion and possession of child pornography. The nature of the charges triggered an automatic ban of Amanda's name under the Criminal Code of Canada. But B.C. Supreme Court Justice Martha Devlin has ruled the ban is unconstitutional in this matter. We can't explain the reasons why, because the decade-old case is still pending. After multiple delays, a jury trial is scheduled for June 6th in New Westminster. Her story is, is global like around the world by silencing her name and silencing the ability to share her story. Um, in, in my opinion, it would hinder the ability to educate. The BC Prosecution Service says it needs time to review the ruling before a decision is made on whether to launch an appeal. Carol, strong in her conviction, this is what her daughter wanted. Amanda created that YouTube video um, seven weeks before her death, 
and she shared her story. That was her words. And and the last slide is my name is Amanda Todd. Romina Daya, Global News. RCMP are now saying foul play may be involved in a Vancouver Island man's disappearance almost two years ago. John Wesley, or Wes Edwards, was 45 when he was last seen in Courtney in March of 2020. Investigators say new information has surfaced that indicates he may have died as a result of foul play. Comox Valley RCMP are asking anyone with information, no matter how insignificant it might seem, to come forward and speak with them. The BCSPCA is asking for some help after a litter of seven adorable puppies were found in poor condition. The puppies were found in a trailer in what's described as deplorable conditions. They were taken to a vet and have been treated for dehydration, malnutrition and parasites. They're now being nursed back to health but still require vaccinations, deworming, spaying and neutering. If someone would have paid to have those puppies, Within 24 hours, they would have had them in emergency vet care. So, you know, that that's thousands of dollars out of your pocket right off the bat. And, you know, a lot of people won't take these animals back. Once you've paid for them, they're yours, they're your problem. So, you know, it's just a buyer beware. Know where you're getting the animals from and ask a lot of questions. If you know dogs, you probably recognize those are chocolate lab pups. And once they've been given a clean bill of health, they will be put up for adoption. Well, concern is growing today for the health of a five-year-old Maple Ridge girl who's had her surgery put on hold. Despite losing a kidney and experiencing years of pain, her mother is shocked the operation has been deemed non-essential. John Hua has more on yet another impact of rising COVID cases. On the surface, Jocelyn Ellison can muster up her strength and act like an ordinary girl. It's a bumpy ride! But so far, life for this five-year-old has been a rough road, rife with infection and pain. It really hurts my pain. The pain hurts because I had to go to the hospital to get a lot of needles. Ready? Maple Ridge girl suffers from a genetic deformity that causes constant urinary tract infections. There's dribbling involved, there's pain involved, um, missing school because she's, you know, doctor's appointments and getting sick. Despite being on daily antibiotics, the scarring from breakthrough infections has already cost Jocelyn one of her two compromised kidneys. With the other now at risk, doctors hope surgically removing the deformity or ureter stump could stop the infections. Having UTIs, being hospitalized, um, losing a kidney, um, it's really hard on me, um, and it's hard watching your child suffer. Even harder to learn, Jocelyn's procedure is considered non-urgent. Her first surgery canceled in November with no chance of rebooking until earliest January 18th. The province holding off on all elective surgeries to make room for a possible surge in COVID cases. It's not just an issue of we have these many beds available. It's also a significant staffing issue, which is why we are taking the steps we are taking. This mother says the province needs to look beyond a list and create a review process to recategorize certain cases. So on the outside, the surgery very important, but if you look at her history and what she's gone through and what's at risk if she continues to get these breakthrough infections, um, it's very important. For this kindergartner, the first day back to school was filled with that all too familiar suffering. I just wish I didn't like not be sick. 
You're so strong. So despite being in pain, Jocelyn Ellison will continue to put on a brave face as she waits for the province to decide when she can start to feel better. John Hua, Global News. So sweet. Well, the U.S. has set a new hospitalization record as Omicron cases there surge. According to Reuters, almost 133,000 Americans are being treated in hospital for COVID-19 today. That breaks the previous mark set in January of last year. Hospitalizations in the U.S. have doubled in the past three weeks as Omicron overtook Delta as the dominant version of the virus. While potentially less severe, health officials have warned the sheer number of infections caused by the Omicron variant could strain hospital systems. Meantime, as bad as, as bad as it is there, Americans are being told not to travel to Canada. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has raised Canada to level four, saying the rate of COVID infections here is very high. The CDC places a destination at level four when more than 500 cases per 100,000 residents are registered in the past 28 days. It currently lists about 80 destinations worldwide at level four. Coming up, a fond farewell to the comedian's comedian. I need you to like me real bad because I have no act and I have no life and I have no future. Bob Saget's death and the legacy of laughter he leaves behind. And what it's like to survive an avalanche from a snowboarder who knows. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Opponents of old growth logging in BC have begun a series of protests blocking Trans Canada Highway intersections and off ramps. So, right now, you will be arrestable for mischief and causing a disturbance. Among the first protests today, this one in Victoria. A handful of demonstrators blocking the Highway 1 intersection at Burnside. Seven people were arrested and the road was reopened. And we're here as protectors of those ancient uh, forest eco, ancient forest ecosystems that we depend on to stay alive in this world and uh, to keep our climate systems well and uh, to allow a future for all of our children, everyone's children. About 15 protesters also blocked a Highway 1 intersection in Nanaimo. Two people were arrested. Anti-logging groups say they will target Victoria, Nanaimo and Vancouver and say their protests will escalate until the government stops all old-growth logging. All right, we heard last week that there was more weather coming, and that is definitely the case. We'll get the details now from Christy and Weather. Thanks, Chris. So uh, we are going to see rainfall tonight. We've got this atmospheric river on deck. It's going to be a several day event and the heaviest rainfall is likely going to happen on Wednesday. That's why there's some uncertainty around this because uh, the amount of rainfall that will occur on, on Wednesday really will determine how much flooding we see. But it's still a couple of days away. So make sure you keep tuning back in. This is what we're forecasting right now. So out through the Sumas, Abbotsford region, we're talking about 80 millimeters and that's through the entire uh, sort of three-day event. Hardest hit regions will likely be the North Shore as, as well, parts of Vancouver Island. And as I mentioned, this is going to come in waves. So one expected later today, certainly later tomorrow, and especially on Wednesday with heavy rain expected right throughout the region. This is Wednesday afternoon, just giving you a perspective of how heavy that rainfall will be. So it has prompted a BC River Forecast Centre to issue a high stream flow advisory. They have said in their advisory that anything from minor 
minor to significant flooding could occur, highlighting the fact that there is some uncertainty around this as well. The impact on the rivers is always a lag effect, so it'll happen late Wednesday into Thursday. Uh, But again, This is minor to significant flooding with a lot of uncertainty, so make sure you keep tuning back in. Risk of freezing rain from Kamloops right down to Asuyus, merit included in that. That's tonight through the day tomorrow. South coast, though, heavy rain. We may see a little bit of a lull in the action tomorrow morning, but it will definitely pick up through the afternoon hours and continue to be very heavy throughout the day on Wednesday, finally easing off late morning on Thursday. Tonight's central window's weather window comes to you from Mission, from Adam, and this is looking down over a River with the crack in the river in the middle, and you can see the tops of the trees there. Really great at, uh, artistic shot. Thanks to Adam for that one. That's wild. I like it. All right. Thanks, Adam, and thank you, Christy. So we're hearing tonight from the man who survived an avalanche on a North Shore mountain last week. The experienced outdoorsman knew the danger was high, but never expected what happened. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the near-death experience taught him a valuable lesson. One week ago, North Shore rescue members rallied to save the survivor of an avalanche. Now the man they rescued from the Hollyburn backcountry says he's grateful and fortunate to be alive. So I'm pretty sore, but grateful to be alive. A well-known snowboarder and environmentalist, Tam Campos, says he and his friend Mark were prepared and believed they were in a safe area. Then my friend was riding behind me and and I think it set off kind of right about where he was and so I didn't even know it at the time I was just riding and next thing I know like full white room in the trees and just being kind of just taken down at someone else's control like it just felt like a swimming pool kind of had just taken me off my feet. Fortunately the boarder's head wasn't buried. His body though was crushed under the snow. I just went straight into I think maybe one of the first trees that was in that area and kind of had my whole body wrapped around it with my arms kind of off the left side, legs on the bottom. And then because I was kind of at the bottom end of the avalanche, the whole weight of all the snow basically passed me by and compressed me up against that tree. Tamo's friend quickly dug him out, but he couldn't be moved. His injuries included a torn left knee, torn shoulder, and hyperextended hip. More than six hours later, North Shore Rescue pulled him to safety. Now at home recovering, the 31-year-old grandson of David Suzuki says he's had time to think about the experience and about life. Life is so precious, and that avalanche the other day was a reminder of that. And I just feel so grateful, and we got to appreciate every single day. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Very true. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire is here now, and the COVID picture looking better for the Canucks now, Squire. Yes, it has brightened up, and they're in Florida, and that's bright too. Uh, The uh, Canucks start their toughest road trip of the season tomorrow in Miami against the Florida Panthers, but at least they'll have all their main guys in the lineup, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser. They are both out of COVID protocol. So is Jason Dickinson. They're all ready to play, although the coach says he will keep a close eye on their fitness levels during this game. these guys, all three of them worked really hard today, and uh, the, I think they'll be ready for tomorrow mentally. Uh, we'll see, you know what I tell them, you, you go as hard as you can for as long as you can and, and see where it goes. I mean, of course, it's uh, the conditioning goes away quick if you're not doing anything. Uh, but I mean, I tried to uh, keep that up uh, while I was staying at home 
Uh, but I mean, um, what a good practice today. Did a little extra skate after the practice. So, um, so hopefully legs will feel good tomorrow. You know, I, I, I still have that feeling of, you know, I feel like I can score any game and, um, you know, it's a great feeling. And even in practice, I, I still feel like I have that confidence and kind of that swagger again. And, um, but, you know, just kind of basing off tomorrow. Um, I, I'm probably a little out of shape compared to the guys. I know they had a hard week of practice and um, it just comes down to, I think, simplifying my game, having short shifts and, and really, you know, focusing on shooting the puck and, and working as hard as I can. And, um, you know, I think if I do that, I'll, I'll slowly start to feel better and better. And, and hopefully uh, I can con- continue to uh, contribute to this team and help us win hockey games. Speaking of COVID, oh, wait a minute. And I, w- I want to get to this first before I get to that. Uh, this is the Canucks road trip, and it is like running a gauntlet. Look at the teams they have to face in a week. They all have great win percentages. Florida, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Washington, Nashville. There are no easy touches in the next week on the road for the Canucks. Okay, now the COVID situation with the baby Canucks. Abbotsford has postponed its game with uh, Bakersfield tonight at the Abbey Center because of COVID. The two teams played three games already in this series. The American Hockey League hasn't rescheduled the game yet, so fans who had tickets to the game tonight hang on to those tickets and wait for when they announce a makeup date. Well, the NHL Players Association is filing a grievance against the San Jose Sharks for terminating the rest of Evander Kane's contract for breaching COVID protocols. That voids the rest of the $22.9 million he is owed by San Jose. Kane has cleared waivers. He can now negotiate with any team he wants. I don't think the Canucks are interested. But Edmonton is among those who are. But whoever signs him will get him for cheap and won't have to pay what he was getting in his old contract with San Jose. Speaking of uh, signings and things like that, the BC Lions have signed receiver Lucky Whitehead to a two-year contract extension. He was BC's best player last year, even though he missed some time with a hand injury. It's been reported he will be the highest paid receiver in the CFL, making around 200000 a year. That's a lot different if you're the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Uh, if he hadn't signed, Whitehead would have become a free agent next month. So who will be throwing the ball to Lucky Whitehead in the coming CFL season with the BC Lions? Will it be? Veteran quarterback Michael Riley, he's still under contract, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be with BC when training camp begins. Riley, end zone looking a touchdown. It's by far the biggest question for the BC Lions heading into the 2022 CFL campaign. Will Michael Riley be back for his 12th CFL season? And are the BC Lions comfortable bringing back the soon-to-be 37-year-old quarterback who's scheduled to earn just under $600,000? It's, it's, it's too early to say. We're, you know, I just This is my first day back in the office in 2022. So, you know what, I have spoken to Michael over the uh, holiday season and wished him Happy New Year, and he's... Very cordial getting back to us and talking like uh, everything's up and up. So um, once we start sitting down and once uh, Mike has an opportunity to talk to his family, uh, we'll start that process. There's no question Riley is still a starting quarterback and a very good one at that. His 3,200 passing yards last season led all CFL quarterbacks, but he was also injured all year. BC's also missed the playoffs two of the last three seasons. At the end of the day, I mean, um, when you have, when you're building a football team, it's like a family. You've got to let everyone make their own decisions and... You know what, I don't want to say that it's going to be us making the decision or him making the decision. We're going to make the decision together to, uh, you know, what's best for this football team. And, 
if that means uh, Michael's going to be back and he wants to be back and we want him back, then that's what will have happen. But again, we're not at that process yet. We haven't started that pro, but we have started it. But once we have a final decision and, uh, you know, um, we get everything uh, solidified, then we'll, you know, start the process of letting everybody know. This is sad news from the weekend. Dr. Amanda Assay, the longest-serving member of Canada's women's baseball team, died from a skiing accident in Nelson at the age of 33. She was from Prince George. This is her pitching. She won medals at the World Championships five different times. She also won a silver at the Pan Am Games in 2015. She was also a collegiate-level hockey player. Great athlete and a great mind. She'll be missed. He won in a court of law in Australia, but that doesn't mean Novak Djokovic will be allowed to play on the court at the Australian Open. A judge says his visa should not have been taken away when he arrived in Australia last week. But the Minister of Immigration in Australia is pondering using his power to pull the visa again. And if he does, Djokovic could be banned from the country for three years. He has won the Aussie Open nine times in his career. He, of course, is number one in the world right now. We'll see mm-hmm. if he gets on the court or if he goes back to court or if he leaves the country or we'll see very soon. The drama, the intrigue, it um, continues. Thanks, amazing. Squire. Protests linked to tennis. First time for everything, I guess. Up next, the death of comedian Bob Saget and how he loved making people laugh. <laughs> you have a high standards to live up to. Uh, yeah. I recognize that laugh. They, they, thought, I, they <laughs> thought I needed it more, uh, buddy. Sure. Sure. Hello, BC's Hello. healthcare dream team. <laughs> is it a dream or a nightmare? Somebody's well, <laughs> dream. I don't know. Can you wake up? Is it over yet? <laughs> if you I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, really. I would like to wake up and be in a different universe. It was all just that bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, I think was, that the new saw... Heart? was that the New Heart show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That was how that went down. If was you that you guys the New Heart show? Some... Yeah. Woke up in a different sitcom. Sorry, you were saying? You were saying, sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, if you guys saw some of the emails we got, a darker tone, let's put it that way, more nightmarish in the, in, in the kinds and tone of questions we got this time around. We've, you know, we've gone through it and, and we're going to be civil, but boy, oh boy, it's PTSD for the people reading our email. Uh, yeah, well, welcome to my nightmare. It's yeah. Been, uh, yeah, no Very doubt. challenging for quite a long time. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just a tough place right now, you know, and I think people are looking, you know, frustration and, and fear and anxiety, and it, they lash out in ways that mm. are not always helpful. Yeah. I think one of, the, one of the things to remember that we get, I mean, when I'm, you know, we're not out in public a lot. When I'm out in public, it's unfailingly positive, and right. especially towards Dr. Henry, but, and overwhelmingly. Like, you know, there was a survey today that showed they didn't release the... You're good. Oh. Let's do it. Let's pick we're it ready. up later. Oh, yes, the oh. Um, popularity 
Another shocking loss for the entertainment world. Bob Saget is dead after being found in a Florida hotel room yesterday. He was just 65 years old. In the 1990s, of course, Saget was one of the biggest stars on TV. And as Global's Mike Armstrong reports, the actor-comedian had just launched a new comedy tour. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Saget. It was a life lived to make people laugh. Something Bob Saget did any way he could. And now they're taking a break. In the 90s, he was working 80 hours a week, splitting his time between hosting America's Funniest Home Videos and starring in the sitcom Full House. Are we going to have fun or what? Neither was quite his comedy cup of tea. You comb your hair differently? No. He would joke his favorite episode of Full House was the last. Bob Saget, how about it? All right, Bobby, here we are now. Now, he did other shows, acted, directed, and produced. But Saget's first love was stand-up, something he would do for more than 40 years. In fact, he just kicked off a new comedy tour. He did two nights in Florida over the weekend and was excited. Posting to Instagram just hours before his death, I'm back in comedy like I was when I was 26. I guess I'm finding my new voice and loving every minute of it. Immediately, the comedy world was in mourning, remembering not just a talent, but a kindness. Someone who always sought to spread smiles. The last thing he would want is comedians crying. He would want us to be laughing. But right now, I can't laugh. I'm still crying. Also remembering Saget on this day, a charity he worked with for years. After losing a sister to a skin disease, he raised millions to fight it. SRFCCHC.org. Doesn't sound as simple as I thought, but... Now, even that was something Saget could joke about. Here goes nothing. On TV, he was straight-laced. Okay, I'll go. What the hell? I got no life. On stage, he had no boundaries. He would say he was dirty, but never mean. I'm 12 years old and I learned a bunch of words. Now, Saget used humor to make a living, but also as a coping mechanism. The more uncomfortable, the easier he could turn something into a joke. He is a best-selling author. Like when he wrote a book and dedicated it to his late mother. And his close friend, the late Norm MacDonald, read the inscription. This is for you, Mom. Dolly Saget, 1925 to 2014. It was another chance to get a laugh. That's made up. She didn't die. (laughs) Bob Saget was 65. Can we say this is made up then? He didn't die. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I wish. He was great. Yeah, he sure was. All right, before we get on with the uh, town hall, a quick word from Christy about the atmospheric river. The next one we're going to see. Thanks. So heavy rain overnight. We'll see a bit of a lull in the action tomorrow morning. Then it will pick up again tomorrow afternoon and we can can sorry, continue to be heavy throughout the day on Wednesday, which will likely be the heaviest day for rainfall. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. But don't go away. <laughs> the town hall with those two, Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix, next on BC1, CKNW, and Facebook Live.